Welcome to Shop Talk with the Sheriff. I'm Sheriff Gregory Tony. Today you're joining us on our first podcast. One of the things we're going to be talking about, or several things we're going to be talking about, is a point of interest that this entire community and this entire country has been talking about over the last several months. That is police reform and the importance behind it. You know, over 20 months now, I've been blessed to serve as the Sheriff of Broward County and I have closely monitored not only the things that was occurring in our agency from a cultural standpoint uh, as it relates to police reform, but also what was occurring across the country. We've seen what can happen when a law enforcement officer fails to comply by the very rules and laws uh, that they've taken an oath when it comes to protecting the community. And when an officer abuses his authority or her authority, it could be electrifying. It could truly set ablaze not only a community, but an entire country. I speak specifically about what we've seen in Minneapolis at the murder of George Floyd and how we had uh, seen an enormous response, not only here in the United States, but really on a global scale. For those of you who have not noticed, um, at the onset of the George Floyd call for reform, as I was, was stated, we've seen roughly 50 states participate in the Black Lives Matter movement across the entire country. Roughly 18 countries had also taken to this reform call. And I think we haven't seen the likes of such activity, not even during the civil rights movement in the 1960s, where an entire planet had responded to some shape, form, or fashion. So where does that lead us? What am I seeing and what are we doing here at the Broward Sheriff's Office? You know, long before the Minneapolis tragedy, we had our own uh, concerns here at the Broward Sheriff's Office. Uh, within the first 20 months, I must have dealt with roughly a half a dozen different use of force cases that was really electrifying here in Broward County. We had an incident where one of our deputies was involved in slamming a 15-year-old black male facing to the ground for nothing more than disorderly conduct that occurred under one of my cities in Tamarack. And we also seen what can happen where deputies were caught on body-worn cameras striking individuals in handcuffs while receiving medical treatment. And the community have responded here with the big and consistent question of, what are you going to do, Sheriff, and how are we gonna handle this? And so having seen these things happen early on and understanding uh, how there is a long-standing distrust with the black and brown communities here in America uh, as it relates to law enforcement, I knew from firsthand experience we were going to have to take some very progressive uh, steps towards being a much more accountable and transparent organization. To begin with, uh, I noticed that every single sheriff that comes into the organization establishes a professional standards committee. We have a professional standards committee that's been here for 30 plus years now. The professional standards committee, the idea behind it was to design a subgroup um, or subcommittee of civilians in law enforcement who would sit at the table, review internal affairs investigations, and then put forth a recommendation for discipline towards the sheriff. Therefore, they would tell me what they think an employee uh, or what a reasonable uh, level of discipline should be. And coming into the agency, I had to fix a multitude of issues related to active shooter preparedness and response. So the professional standards committee really wasn't something that was on my, my plate initially. But I saw recommendations that were coming out that suggest we should suspend a deputy that would beat an individual in handcuffs at a hospital, that perhaps 
we should exonerate an individual for slamming a young 15-year-old black kid's uh, face into the, into the ground. And so I had to take a deep dive, look at how do we change that professional standards committee? What else can we do to track, monitor, and ensure that we are holding our men and women accountable? One of the first early steps was to enact what we call an early warning system. An early warning system that would allow us an opportunity to examine the behaviors of our deputies in the field and the volume or the amounts or types of use of force they're being involved with. Why is this important? In Minneapolis, for example, the officer who was involved with choking out George Floyd for eight minutes and 46 seconds had over 16 different encounters of use of force or allegations of excessive force throughout his career. That's absurd. To allow that type of consistent concern and consistent abuse to occur within a law enforcement organization really is part of the problem. Organizations, administrators must hold people accountable. So our early warning system that we have now allows us to assess deputies that may have one or two or three different encounters, and we look at it immediately. We look at what can we do? Is it um, consistent in that this may be a problem, or is there something we can do um, to change a policy, training, or even enact remedial uh, training for the deputies themselves? In other words, we capture it early so that it don't become a problem. This is a viable tool for us as an organization. And now we look at all use of forces across our entire uh, county under this early warning system. The second thing we did was to introduce a use of force review board. You know, this is a huge, huge agency. We have roughly 5,700 employees spread across roughly 1,300 square miles. We contract out uh, public safety services to half of the county. That's half the cities here. And so we needed to look at how are we going to consistently send the, the right message to every single district, and how are we going to ensure that every use of force that takes place um, is fair and consistent with our policies, protocols, and procedures. The only way to do that was to create this use of force review board. The use of force review board now looks at all our districts, adds another layer of protection, another second uh, set of eyes, where we look at every single use of force that's occurring. So for example, if we have something that takes place in Tamarack, uh, use of force, the district level will handle that use of force, ensure that it's in compliance, but then our use of force review board can look to ensure, hey, does this need to go to internal affairs? Do we need to take a hard look? Should this be investigated? Was the employee in compliance? Or, no, they were in compliance, well job, uh, you know, great job done by our district commanders, let's move on. That gives us an opportunity to capture things much faster. What do I mean? We don't wait for things to pop up on CNN. We're not waiting for incidents to be discovered by Fox News. Instead, we are progressively looking into our own organization to ensure that we are doing the things that the public would expect of us. Another core thing that we put together, and I, I really had to challenge our command staff on what could we do to ensure that this professional standards committee remain intact, because we didn't want to get rid of it, but ensured it was a much more fair and objective body. And so I hit the reset button. Having seen what the Professional Standards Committee uh, was recommending under my predecessor's you know, regime and the culture that was established here, I removed all the members from the Professional Standards Committee, started fresh with a selection process of competent, uh, long-term BSO employees. Then we even brought in a staff of civilians to participate in this board that was really highly educated. For the first time, we included lawyers, 
uh, labor management specialist, and I even hired a judge to serve as the chairman. Judge uh, Julio Gonzalez, been here in Broward County for quite some time, is now the chairman. That was a huge leap forward for us in terms of police reform and becoming much more accountable and transparent. But we couldn't stop there. We started listening to what the community wanted, especially after George Floyd murder. It was so many uh, protests that occurred, you would hear it consistently, not just here in Broward County, uh, but the idea of protest is to be heard. Uh, for individuals to express their concerns, their demands, uh, their feelings, their expectations, and typically that message is appointed or directed at the people that can make change. And I'm, as the sheriff of this county, I am the chief law enforcement officer of this entire county. Uh, and as a constitutional officer, I'm, I might, I'm very capable uh, from a legal standpoint of making these changes. And so I heard the community, I listened to them, and one of the things they wanted was more inclusion. They wanted more inclusion. They wanted to be part of the process. And so I challenged our organization to put forth a social justice task force where we can bring in a multitude of different entities, personnel, to include Black Lives Matters and other civic groups that could be part of the discussion and process when it comes to investing money, changing policies, and doing the things that could help unite this community. Uh, so I'm excited. The Social Justice Task Force will be launching in just a few days now. Um, in a moment, or later on in our next podcast, uh, I'll have Captain Renee Peterson, who I've tasked to lead this up, along with uh, Judge Julio Gonzalez. So it's not a matter of just listening to the community, but also being responsive to the community. I think that's a key thing. Now, so much of what we've done so far in terms of police reform has been really about mitigating the harms and being accountable within. But we need to do more on the mitigating side. We need to do more with training. We need to do more on cultural awareness and sensitivity. And one of the things I did was to challenge our, um, my colleagues, other chiefs of police or administrators here in Broward County, to participate in a racial equity and implicit bias training program uh, that I'm proud to say we've launched here at the Broward Sheriff's Office. And this is a very exciting time. This program originally had developed at the county uh, to ensure that we could break through the barriers and speak the truths about how systemic and institutional racism exists, not only in the criminal justice system, but it in, uh, impacts and exists in every part of this country. And having that conversation with both uh, in a training environment with law enforcement, civilians, and other community stakeholders is essential for us to move forward. Uh, so having got the chiefs of police on board, it was a huge step forward for this entire county, uh, and especially here in the state of Florida. We have not seen uh, any county or municipal city take on the responsibility of training all their law enforcement officers in racial equity and implicit bias training. And so this county is going to be the first. I, I talk about the importance behind that because I can terminate deputies all day long for wrongdoing. But the problem with terminations is it's retroactive to a bad behavior meaning somebody's been already hurt, harmed, injured, or even killed. And we can't afford to be retroactive, uh, especially during this climate, especially during this time in our country's history. We have to be proactive. We have to be proactive to help cut out some of these concerns and help mitigate some of these atrocities from happening. And education is the one of the more fundamental ways to do that. At least that's what I believe. Um, 
I would also talk a little bit more about where we are headed uh, as an entire country. Uh, we are coming into an election cycle, um, and it is so imperative that as you get out and become an activist related to police reform and want to be heard about greater issues, not that we are doing just here in Broward County, but how these issues impact the entire society, pay attention to who you are voting for. It is time to be heard. But one of the biggest things I've noticed is that so much of the electoral process from a civilian standpoint has gone to just checking off the box versus educating yourselves on the particular candidates. And if you want to be heard, that's one thing. But if you want to be heard and have your voice uh, rectified in policies and protocols and things that safeguard this community, you have to make sure you're voting for people who not only talk the talk, but will walk it as well. And so with that, I say welcome to the first round of Shop Talk with the Sheriff. I'm your Sheriff Gregory Tony. This is an exciting time. If you want to engage more, you can follow me on Instagram at BSO Sheriff Tony. It is me. It's not a stunt double. I actually participate and talk to the community. I enjoy my people. Uh, so join us next time. Again, this is Sheriff Tony signing off at Shop Talk with the Sheriff. We'll talk to you all soon. Be safe.